Hi, this is Mo. And this is Sarah, and you're listening to the podcast Bird Shit. We started this podcast to share our love of birding with other enthusiastic birders in the world. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Bird Shit Podcast. This is your hosts, Mo and Sarah. Hi. Coming at you from our respective places where we do this. <laughs> our houses. Hey, I forgot to tell you, I had a big birding moment the other day here in Maine. What? I was sitting at my computer, looking out my window, supposed to be in a meeting at work. I mean, I was in the meeting at work, but... You weren't, like, mentally present. I mean, I was being distracted by my window because there was a lot of bird activity out there. And there were four yellow-bellied sapsuckers in this (gasps) tree outside my house. Dude, that's awesome! I know, and I think, like, three of them were probably juveniles because they look kind of mangly looking uh like not fully like in the best of their plumage but it is fall so who knows so then i went out there and i'm looking at them i I was like trying to get to the grocery store but i was like i'm just gonna walk to the grocery store with my binoculars like a weirdo so i like got distracted and stood in my yard and like watched them for like five minutes and then i saw a northern mockingbird which is the first time i've ever seen that bird because i like never see him in the midwest dude that's awesome yeah, and I've, like, always wanted to see a mockingbird for some reason. Dude, they're cool. They're super cool. And, you know, it wasn't calling, so that part kind of sucked, but it definitely was a northern mockingbird. I was super excited. I mean, we we hardly ever get them in Chicago except for during breeding season, and I know, like, they're not even in Michigan where I grew up, so it was a big moment to finally see my first mockingbird. I had, like, a cool but very, like, not cool moment. I mean... I thought it was cool. I saw a European starling in their winter plumage, which like is so different than what I'm used to seeing. And at first I was like, what is that bird? Yeah, they're super tricky. And we're like, it was raining and we're like outside. And I'm like, Jake, what's that bird? What's that bird? And I'm like hitting him. Like, cause I'm like, do you see it? Do you see it? And then I was like, it looks so much like a starling, but the colors were just like vastly different from what I'm used to seeing. So it was really cool. But also very lame because it was just a starling. I mean, that's fine. Birds are birds. It's good to appreciate them. Dude, I also get like really excited seeing blue jays, even though they're really common for me to see now. But I just think they're such a cool bird, too. Yeah, they are. I've got a lot of those guys running around my yard, too. Always yelling at each other and stuff. I'm like, man, noisy neighbors. We recently did an Instagram poll where we asked what you guys would be interested in listening to. And one of the ones that was most voted for was learning about the state of birds and how we can help birds. The reason that this idea came about is because many of you have seen the recent headlines regarding birds and they are not good. A recently published study in the Journal of Science led by researchers at Cornell Lab of Ornithology shows that bird populations are declining at an alarming rate. Over the last 50 years, populations have declined, and since 1970, we've lost 29% of the bird population in North America, Ugh. which is very disheartening. Yeah. Um, the waterfowl and raptor populations have made recoveries due to conservation efforts. Across nearly all habitats, bird numbers have dropped. So in light of this, and as mentioned, requested by listeners, we're going to discuss how we can help birds at a local and national level. I will say, I don't know if it's because I'm in like the bird news sphere now or not, but as sad as this news was, 
I was really surprised by how much press it got. Yeah. This news really was everywhere. It, I found it. I mean, it was in my New York Times like morning briefing. It was also in like the Skim newsletter that I get as well. Love that newsletter. Shout out to the Skim for basically being the most on-brand newsletter ever. It was just... I don't know. There's so much bad stuff happening in the news that I almost felt there was sort of this weird rallying cry that took place around this information where everyone was like, this is wrong. Birds are dying. We're pissed about it. And I was like, cool. Like, I'm glad people are pissed about it and they want to take action. And I think when we did that Instagram poll and it sort of validated that with people saying they want to help birds, even people who don't strike me as being super birdie the way that you and I are, to know that they wanted to do something to help birds, it made me feel better. So thank you, everyone, for caring about birds. Yes, we uh, appreciate it. And I know the birds do as well. We came up with a few different ideas for how to talk about ways to help birds. We're going to start off with some things that you can do every day. Super easy, really low ask kind of things that are easy to implement into your life or just like little bits of knowledge that'll help you on a very small scale, but actually do make a huge difference for the life of birds. The first thing is learning what you can do to help an injured bird that might hit your window. This actually came to us from Laura Erickson. She's a wonderful lady we've had on our podcast before. You can check out our interview with her and also the Birds of Harry Potter episode where she helped talk to us about the different birds of Harry Potter. So first of all, if you get a bird that hits your window and you see that it's laying on its back, it might not be able to balance itself or right itself. And if you don't help, it could die, even though it's not actually injured. It's just sort of in a state of shock. Make sure you've got some kind of gloves on or some other kinds of thing to protect yourself because birds, you know, they're sharp. They got sharp points. They carry bacteria as well. Yeah, exactly. Don't put it in a cage or anything either. The best thing that you could do is a cardboard box or even the organization that I used in Chicago when I would find injured birds on the sidewalks to Chicago. You can also use paper bags, basically something they can breathe through, but you want to make sure it's dark so they don't understand really that they're trapped. If they can't see, then they don't freak out as much. One thing you want to try and do, if possible, is create a donut that you can put around the bird to keep it upright. You can do this with a towel. Some people use branches or some kind of dent shrubs or something like that to create the little donut. Put it in like a quiet place and just every few minutes you can open up the lid, see if the bird flies off or not. It's important that you don't bring the bird indoors because things could happen. If the bird gets out, you're in a real situation. So try and keep the box outside if possible, if that's safe. In my case, when I was in Chicago, the pigeon monitoring service, which also took care of all birds, I would bring birds inside because I didn't have anywhere else to put them, but the volunteers were there within no more than 20 minutes. They would always take the birds and take them to sanctuaries and stuff to be treated for more serious injuries if that was the case, and then releasing them if possible. You know, make sure the bird leaves on its own accord, and you can just help it along with just like opening your hand if it's sitting in your hand or kind of touching its tail to sort of encourage it to move on. Just make sure that you're doing everything you can to keep the bird comfortable. Most birds with just these small concussions are able to recover in an hour or two. If you find that there's more serious injuries may be happening with the bird and it doesn't fly away, try to transport it to a wildlife rehabilitation facility nearby. There are some organizations in urban areas especially that have volunteers that will even come to you to pick up the bird from you and use the cardboard box or the paper bag to transport it there. Adjacent to that, how you can prevent birds from hitting your windows, which is like a huge thing. You know, like you see those giant skyscrapers that are all reflective. It's a terrible idea. 
it is reflective and birds see the image of the sky in it. But what you can do at your own home, you can either break up reflections across the outside of the window by using feather-friendly tape, which is applied to the outside and help breaks up the reflection. You can place bird feathers either less than three feet or greater than 30 feet away from the window so that way they can see up close that there's a window if they're at the feeder or that they're at the feeder super far away and that will prevent them from getting close to the windows. Because of reflection, you also want to keep your plants away from any windows as well. And at night, you can reduce artificial night lighting, which will help them as well. If you do have large windows, birds are hitting your windows, you've experienced it in the past, or you want to be really preventative, make sure that you're helping reduce the reflections in your windows at your home. I even see people have put yarn outside their house, like, and hung it across the windows, so that way... The yarn is like a barrier for the birds and they can, it can't see the window as well either. Excellent. So another fun thing you can do to birds, and this is one that I'm still working on and implementing in my own life, but you can set up bird feeders. You can either keep a bird feeder in your yard or on your window as well. There are some like nice window feeders that exist to make it easy for birds to access food that way. There are some things to look out for, right? So you want to make sure you keep the feeder clean. You want to make sure you're not encouraging the overfeeding of some species that are problem birds, like grackles are really aggressive birds when it comes to bird feeder styles. Uh, You might also get like a lot of starlings or house sparrows, like birds that basically don't need help finding food sources and are already in abundant supply. You really want to try to dispel those sorts of birds from visiting your feeder by maybe taking the feeder down for a few days so the birds kind of disperse and you can get the local native birds back in or even migratory species will learn to visit your bird feeder that way. But having that food source, especially in the winter or in areas where maybe food is harder to find, is a really crucial thing you can do for birds. Again, though, keep it clean. We like clean feeders because otherwise we're spreading disease. But yeah, it's a really easy thing. I think I'm going to go with a window feeder. I've been actually scoping out the windows in my house to figure out what windows I spend the most time in and what's going to keep squirrels away. And I think I found one. Also, choose a window that doesn't have a ton of activity too. So that way they will come to it. Yeah, exactly. And and the one that I have is sort of close to a tree, but not like in a tree. So oh, okay. I can fill it easily, which is also important to me. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, the next one you have to cover because your husband's obsessed with coffee. Oh my gosh. So my husband does love coffee, but he has also become super obsessed with buying bird-friendly coffee. So bird-friendly coffee is basically a coffee that's shade-grown. Three-quarters of the world's coffee farms grow their plants in the sun, according to the Smithsonian's National Zoo and Conservation Biology Institute. Shade-grown coffee is grown in areas with a taller, denser tree canopy. This expansive canopy provides critical habitat to more than 42 species of migratory North American songbirds during the winter seasons. Basically, sun-grown coffee is grown by removing this tall canopy of trees so that the coffee fruit can grow in the direct sunlight. It grows faster that way, and it tends to not taste as good is kind of what I'm told. It's like more like these mass-produced farms. Plus, eliminating that upper canopy means you're also eliminating safe habitats for the warblers, thrushes, and orioles that spend their winters in these coffee plantations. Shade-grown coffee, I'm told it also tastes better because the fruit takes longer to grow. So that's kind of a nice benefit is that it not only tastes better, you're also helping the birds out. We have a link to Smithsonian certified bird-friendly coffees in the podcast notes if you want to check those out. 
There's a one called Birds and Beans that's actually based in Massachusetts. So that's pretty close by to us here in Maine that I really want to check out. And Sam keeps talking about it. They have a, a light roast blend that's called the American Red Start. So all of their beans are actually named after birds too, which is super fun. That is awesome. Yeah. You can't see me right now, but I'm holding my cat, one of my two cats. And I think this is a huge one that we need to talk about in protecting birds. Keep your cats inside. So according to the state of birds, cats are estimated to kill more than 2.6 billion birds annually in the U.S. and Canada. Aside from habitat loss, outdoor cats are the number one reason, human cause reason, for the loss of birds. My cats are indoor cats. They beg to go outside all the time just to eat grass. They're like cows, kind of. (laughs) But I never let them outside without me. And I would never let them outside for a prolonged period of time where they could actually like start tracking and attack birds. So if you need to have your cats outside, try a catio. They have like little tents basically that your cat can go out into, which I think is adorable. It's so cute. Train your cat to be on a leash, which is very difficult. I've tried, but some people do it. Or even if you have a catch collar, you should always have a collar that releases if it gets caught for your cat. But make sure it has a bell on it or something that is very loud, like a very easy movable bell, so that the cat will provide a warning before they pounce. Another thing that you can do, even if you don't own a cat, is you can work with feral cat organizations that might be in your city. Sam and I didn't actually have cats, but we did take care of a mama cat and her two kittens that lived underneath our neighbor's porch when we lived in Chicago. And it was super cute watching these cats. I basically watched these kittens grow up from super little babies. Can we we mention how allergic you are? Oh, I'm so allergic to cats. One of the cats actually was super cuddly like he wanted to be pet and was super lovey-dovey and we'd feed them every morning we feed them every night we bought like really nice tuna for these cats I don't know what the fuck we were thinking but they really liked it (laughs) we don't know what we're doing we're not cat people I'm super allergic to cats which means we couldn't even take the two kittens that probably could have been domesticated we couldn't even domesticate them like it was impossible we let them into our house a few times and they just like spazzed out and then I was sneezing so it was just a bad mix all around but We did get the cats neutered and re-released into the wild, so they won't be repopulating the feral cat population. However, um, feral cats are really the biggest problem when it comes to birds that are killed. Feral cats or even unowned cats are responsible for more than two-thirds of the birds that are killed by cats in the United States. It's also estimated that feral cats really only live to be about two years in the wild. Use that term loosely, I suppose. In the urban wild. But there are some hardships of cat street life and even feral cats, they don't live to be very old because it's hard out there to be a cat in the streets. Work with the feral cat organizations in your neighborhood to find a way to either get these cats off the streets or somehow making sure that these organizations understand the importance of keeping the birds in the neighborhood safe as well. I heard of a really cool organization. I think it was operating in New York, of course. Basically, they would take feral cats and provide them with jobs, essentially. So they'd find businesses that wanted the cat, whether it was like a farm or like a giant warehouse, where they would place the animal. So the cat got food and water, and if it wanted attention, there were people. But it also kept like rats and mice out of the business. Dude! Which I think is an awesome, awesome idea. That's so cool. I definitely watched those cats eat mice and rats in Chicago. I don't think I've ever seen them eat a bird. Yeah, because in Chicago, I mean, that would might have been more of their food source. Oh, yeah. It was a pretty big food source. <laughs> All right. Well, 
staying on the streets but taken away from the rats. Another thing you can do that is admittedly very hard for me is you can just drive your car a little bit slower. Give birds a chance to cross the road, whether they're flying or even like the ducks that get a little too close to the edge. Driving slower makes it easier for birds to react to cars on the street. As Laura said when we were interviewing her, don't drive so slow that it's inconvenient for you, but also there's no need to speed around and waste natural resources by driving super fast too. And by driving slower, you're making it easier for birds to see your car and find a way around. I saw a red-tailed hawk get hit on the highway once. What? Yeah, by a car in front of us. Was it on the ground? You know, we're going like 70 and we saw like him swoop down and he swooped too low and just got like obliterated by the car. Oh. I cried for the rest of the drive. That's so sad. It was so horrifying to see. So yes, please drive slower. Or if you do hit a bird, please don't keep on driving. At least check on the bird that you've hit because these people just kept on driving. Bastards. We know it was dead. It was not great, but yeah, if you do ever hit a bird... Please be conscious of that. One thing that we think is super easy to do, and I do with every bird, and Mo does with every bird, is just appreciate them when you see them. Every bird adds a little spark of joy to your day. It's super sappy, but it's true. It's so true. Every time I see a bird, I get so excited. Even if it's just a little sparrow, I'm always like, oh, oh, I know. Using Merlin Bird ID is a fantastic and easy way to learn more about the kind of birds around you by helping you quickly ID them. Step up your appreciation a notch by tracking your bird sightings in eBird and help scientists understand what's happening with birds. And just, you know, just appreciate those little guys whenever you do see them and get excited even if it's the 50th starling you've seen for the day because it's unique in its own way. You'd be a great kindergarten teacher. I know, God, or like doing the reading rainbow or something. (laughs) (laughs) So those are some of the simple everyday things that you can do to help birds, but there are also some bigger things you can do if you're an overachiever like Sarah and I, and you got to do all the things you can possibly do. You're a type A. Yeah. If you're a type A birder or even type A bird enthusiast, here are some other things you could do. You could join either the National Audubon Society or even a local Audubon Society. Detroit Audubon Society. Shout out to Audubon. (laughs) They have great content, first of all. Like, I have learned so much by using the Audubon Society's website and the resources that they have. And there's also a local main Audubon Society that we have here that's a little more focused to this region. And so you can either join the national organization if you want to just keep things easy and simple. But if you have a thing that that you're passionate about that's local or regional, definitely look into those. You can even join local birding clubs. You can just do a simple Google search for that, find something that's nearby, and just go on a few walks or, you know, donate some money if you don't want to walk. You can do that too. But those organizations are doing great things in terms of conservation and education and making people aware of the birds that are nearby. Awesome. It's fall here now, so we're not doing a lot of planting right now, but one thing you can do whenever springtime comes around is add native plants to your yard. So loss of habitat is a really big problem for birds, and according to the USDA's Natural Resource Conservation Service, more than 10 million acres of land in the U.S. were converted to developed land from the years of 1982 to 1997. Essentially, we're just buying up all this land, putting a bunch of houses on it, and destroying habitat. As habitats are clear-cut and converted into housing developments, which have manicured lawns, 
which I never want a grass manicured lawn. We let our we let ours go as much as we can and try and let the plants grow naturally. Instead of that lawn, which you have to upkeep and just like do a lot of mowing and stuff, why don't you put in some more natural plants and then you can give them resting spots for migration as well as a place to raise their young. Look into that, whatever area you live in, and find some more native plants other than that grass, which is kind of boring. Who's under grass anymore? Yeah, who has a manicured lawn? Not me. I have a pedicured lawn. (laughs) Oh my god. Which means it's unruly and it's like your toes in the winter and no one looks at them. That's my lawn. Yep. They're just like hairy and overgrown. Yep. That's how I love it though. Because it's just like you see all the natural stuff that would grow and it hides the dog poop so you don't feel bad about not picking it up Mm. in your yard. Sounds like a personal problem. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. If you want to take a more passive approach, but still super significant approach to helping birds, you can donate to a cause that matches, you know, however you appreciate birds. There are different organizations that have different causes, different sorts of resources that they provide to birds. So Cornell Lab of Ornithology, renowned in the field of research, you can donate to them or you can become a member and get some cool perks. You can get like magazines or water bottles and like sweet stuff. You're a swag whore. I'm a swag whore for sure. But they do incredible research. Like the the information that Cornell is gathering across the globe about birds is making it easier to understand what's happening in the world of birds, educate people about them, and just provide some really awesome resources for new birders or scientists alike to help understand the state of birds. So excellent cause to give to. You can also donate to the Bird Conservation Alliance. They unite bird watchers and conservation-minded citizen groups. All of the organizations that they work with and support focus on birds, bird conservation, or even habitat restoration so that anyone can help protect birds by joining into the Conservation Alliance. As a member, you can help reduce threats to birds, garner funding for bird conservation work, and protect and restore key habitats to threatened species. So by becoming a member, you get some different benefits and can just basically know that you're a part of an advocacy group that's really doing great work to help birds all over the world. If you want to focus on more specialty birds, maybe you have a particular type of bird that really, you know, suits your fancy, here are some cool different organizations that we found. If you're really into birds of prey, you should definitely check out Hawk Mountain in Pennsylvania. It's a research center. It's a conservation training site. It has a learning facility. It's also an ecotourism destination, which is pretty sweet. It's got a wildlife sanctuary that's open to the public all year. And it is actually one of the world's largest member-supported raptor conservation organizations in the world. Obviously, world's largest. So there's that. And if you're in Northeast America, it's an awesome place to view the annual autumn hawk migration. Put that on our field trip list, Sarah. Like, we should definitely do that. Yeah, add in it now. That's awesome. If you want to go count some raptors, check out Hawk Mountain in Pennsylvania. Donate to their cause. I see you over there, Sarah. You're all about it. Got it. The group that's probably a little bit more suited for me is the Native Songbird Care and Conservation Group that we found, or NSCC. It's a nonprofit organization based in California. Donating to them can help them 
treat a whole bunch of different songbirds. They actually care for nearly a thousand songbirds every year that come to their clinic. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of birds. They really rely heavily on the support of volunteers and also private donations. They have a list of the different gifts that you can give and what that basically pays for. So a $25 purchase can help care for antibiotics of a cat caught songbird. As we've already talked about, those cats. Or you can pay even up to $500 to cover half of their weekly mealworm and cricket purchases during the summer. They eat so many mealworms. That's just crazy that $500 covers half of a week of the work that they're doing. So obviously, if you're into the super singy songbirds like I am, that's a great cause that you can give to. And lastly, we wanted to let people know about the International Crane Foundation. So the International Crane Foundation works worldwide to conserve cranes and the ecosystems, watersheds, and flyaways on which they depend. After just like some brief research about this organization, the network that they have to do this worldwide is astounding. So in order to care for all of these different 15 species of cranes that are around the world, they really do need worldwide global resources to be able to do that. The group has been around since 1973, and they have really grown in terms of their reach and impact and making sure that they're helping preserve these landscapes, not only for cranes, but a lot of other wildlife that depend on this these biologically diverse environments. They do a lot of work in terms of safeguarding current crane populations, reintroducing cranes, addressing climate change, and securing water resources, improving livelihoods of people. They tackle wider challenges that end up benefiting cranes, but also end up benefiting a lot of other aspects of these communities. You know I'm all about those sandhill cranes. I know. They're like almost your spirit bird, I think, for some reason. Dude, I've seen them so many times this year. And they are so cool. Like, I forgot to show you, they were at the zoo, and one just, like, walked up to me from the habitat. Like, literally was, like, a foot away from me. Oh, they're so cool looking. I mean, cranes are such a unique type of bird. They are. We could do a whole episode on cranes. I think we're going to, because I actually just watched this thing about, like, wildlife in Japan, and the red-crested crane that they have there is super cool. And, like, I watched a whole thing about it. So we'll have to do an episode on cranes. Oh, yeah. If you're not looking to donate money necessarily, but more of your time, there are plenty of organizations that you can volunteer for bird-related activities in your area. When I used to live in Ann Arbor in Michigan, um, there was actually a songbird rehabilitation group I volunteered for. I would help set up all of the cages that they had for birds. I got to hold a pileated woodpecker like a baby while someone fed them. And they use their tongues, which is super cool. They have these like really cool tongues. But most of my job, you know, it wasn't like glorified or anything. I was feeding mealworms. I was putting down fruit in cages. But it was super cool to see these birds, to help actually monitor these birds with licensed wildlife care people. And you knew that you were impacting your community because you were going to help a bird get released. And I also got to take care of little ducklings. Oh, so cute. They're so cute. I know that you also did some volunteering with birds this summer. Yeah, it was not quite as hands-on, but it was a great way to learn about and monitor the piping plovers that nested on Montrose Beach in Chicago. These birds really made the news, too, because a music festival got canceled because of it. It was the first time that Chicago had seen piping plovers since 1955, and the birds themselves represented like 10% of the nesting population in the Great Lakes region for piping plovers. So it was a big friggin' deal, and it was really cool to be a part of it. 
sad news is that I spent a lot of time watching the nest and watching the mom and dad take care of the eggs. And I never got to see the babies because I had to leave Chicago. So that was a bummer. But you know they hatched. Yep. So two of the four eggs of their second brood ended up making it and (gasps) apparently migrated south. And so we just have our fingers crossed that Monty and Rose and maybe their two little baby chicks will come back next year. Yay. Yeah. But it was cool because I got to meet a lot of cool people who were passionate about birds and even people who weren't passionate about birds, but just like had heard about it and were stopping by to learn about the piping plovers. And I learned so much by teaching other people about it and also spending what I'd consider like a pretty intimate amount of time watching these birds over the course of like four or five weekends for a couple hours at a time. I have probably not spent that much time monitoring a species the way I did these piping plovers. And that was really cool. I feel like I got to know them really well. And I think too, like even if you can't find an organization that's focused on birds, just any type of volunteering in nature to help conserve habitat So even connecting with like beach cleanups or habitat restorations that are happening or reaching out to your local wildlife sanctuary or natural sites and just seeing what you can do to make sure that those spaces are conserved for birds. Absolutely. Another thing you can do, it only happens once a year, people. So it's not that hard, but it is a big, big deal is you can participate in Global Big Day. Yeah. Big Day is a count day that help scientists understand how many birds are in places all over the world on a given day. And by basically asking everyone to do it on one day, it just brings in a whole bunch of data that they can track from year to year to understand changes in different areas with those birds on a more consistent basis annually. I'm coming to visit. We're doing this together. You take the day off. I will be there. Well, it's a Saturday, so I will definitely take that day off. It's a Saturday? I think it's always like the first or second Saturday in May. Oh, I'm totally coming. We're doing this. The next big day is May 9th, 2020. Don't worry, we will let you know about it. The best way you can participate is to download the eBird app from Cornell and start tracking birds on Global Big Day and participate in this 24-hour birding phenomenon wherever you are for however long you can. Like, I actually did participate this last year, but I was so busy. I ended up just, like, seeing whatever birds were around my house for, like, 10 minutes. But just knowing that I was participating in some small way made me feel a part of the collective bird world, and it was pretty awesome. And if you're new to birding, you have plenty of time to, like, figure out the species, get a little more experience to prep you for big day. Big day! Big day! That's how we're always going to refer to it. Yeah. Big day! Whoop, whoop! Big day! It's like a football game. It's a big day. The last one I wanted to throw in because I like to think a little large sometimes. This one actually has to do with taxing. As we noted earlier, one of the few species that have actually increased their population are waterfowl. And a lot of this effort came from waterfowl game hunters. I'm not a hunter. It's nothing I will ever participate in. But... Waterfowl game hunters advocated greatly for the conservation programs to protect these species and use funding from game hunting licenses to help provide monetary value for conservation programs. Cool. They like were a huge effort in actually conserving the species because they wanted to make sure that they stayed above levels where they're threatened and couldn't be hunted. So they actually helped contribute. And in citing a Scientific American article, biologists have actually called on birders to learn from these instances and to make an effort for the rest of birds that are not considered game species. A larger model needs to be developed to ensure the financial resources for saving birds. 
So whether this is something you could vote for if legislation came up in your area or if you advocate for it through a state or local org, it's something we really need to consider because in terms of conservation, I hate to say this, big corporations with money will always win out. But if we can find the voices and also the financial resources to protect birds, I think it's a huge win. Again, I'm not a hunter, don't think I ever will be, but it is kind of nice to highlight the happier side of what hunting does bring us. I love your optimism. I love how you're like, we can do this. We can change the world. Like we definitely need that enthusiasm. I do think we can. Like I get so excited. Like in a lot of ways, I still think I'm a little childish in my hopes and dreams, but I kind of enjoy it in some ways because it's just like, it's fun to feel like we can change the world. Yeah. No. Even if it's through taxes, which like, I don't mind taxes. Tax me all you want as long as I see the benefits. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It sounded like a really optimistic laugh there at the end there, too. Yeah, I know. It was weird. But yeah, so that one was definitely a bigger one. Um, But it's something to consider if you ever do see that legislation or you work for an organization where you could kind of implement something like that. Well, those are just some of the few things that you can do either every day or on a bigger basis. There are millions of things you can do. There are so many things you can do to help birds. Like you could even make kids, if you were had lots of kids, like 12 kids, you could have them all make those pine cone bird feeders. Yeah. Or even one kid. Yeah. Get that kid to make 20 of them. I'm going to go make a pine cone bird feeder tonight. Yeah. Uh. Then probably eat all the leftover peanut butter. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm just going to eat the peanut butter. So good. Yeah, you had peanut butter on the bottom of your tequila glass earlier. I know. It's because the dog. Ew. I don't actually know how that makes sense, actually, what you just said. Because we feed him a lot of peanut butter, and I had a Kong on the countertop, and it, like, got peanut butter on the countertop. All right. Logic. Logic, baby. I see that coming through. I'm about to take my NyQuil, and I'm go. Oh, it's like, meet me at the hotel, and we can do it. I'm going to take my NyQuil and then go to bed. (laughs) You just came out hard singing that, but I'm into it. I know. I know. It was like, we're winding down. It's 930. Super late on a Friday night. You know what I'm saying? Party. I guess because this was kind of like a little sad episode, we wanted to bring some happiness into the end of it. Yeah. Sorry for all that bummer news, but but there's also a lot of cool things that you can do to enrich your own life and the lives of birds. Yeah, and if you think of any other ones, you can always comment when we post this on Instagram. You can hit us up at hellobirdshit at gmail.com. Follow our Instagram. Birdshit Podcast. Hit that IG. Hit that follow button. We would love to hear what effort you guys are making. If you guys know of any other great organizations that we can talk about on the podcast, we would be more than happy to. Yeah, go help some birds. Keep your eyes to the skies. 